Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining. You are tuned into the Asian Highway, and this is our, our newest podcast. The Brown Table is a roundtable discussion on Bollywood films. We have a wonderful panel here to chat with us about our film today, which is Chichore. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, this is a Facebook Live event, so thank you for watching. And this will also be a podcast, and so details about will be forthcoming. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce our host who will uh, lead this panel discussion. Her name is Shelly Butalia. She is she, the Asian Highways film reviewer. And without further ado, I'll hand it off to Shelly. The floor is yours. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brown Table. Um, I wanted to go ahead and introduce the panels we have on board today. First of all, there's Imran Sheikh. He's an avid movie watcher and likes to discuss them. We have Sejal Toprani, a psychotherapist and founder of BeWellTherapy.me. She's a mom, spouse, and CEO of all the above. We have Nikita Ganatra. She's got a master's in education. She's an educator, entrepreneur, and owns a Kumon Center. We have Neha Patel. She's an entrepreneur, podcaster, former tech executive, and co-founder of Hatch Brighter. We have Simran Butalia. He's a photographer, video editor, software engineer, CEO of Butalia Media Consulting, a dance teacher, and my husband. We have Primo Rohit, a journalist, editor, and video content producer who serves as the managing editor of The Log, a CEO and publisher of Asian Highway, and is a longtime lead reporter of India West. And then we have myself, Shaley Butalia. I'm an accountant, a dancer, a dance teacher, and a film reviewer. So let's get this conversation started. Um, the movie we chose uh, this time around to talk about is Chichore, and it means worthless. The title literally means worthless. Um, so I wanted to jump into the conversation right away in terms of the, the center of the movie, the child that is basing his whole self-worth on a entrance exam into college. And how do we measure our kid's worth? He's measuring his own worth based on this test. But how do we teach them that that isn't the only thing that defines them? Well, I think um, a lot of our self-worth is really based on our upbringings, um, based on the family that we grow up in, the culture, which is a larger context. And it truly gives us a chance to see, as parents, I can speak now, um, when I'm speaking to my eight-year-old uh, or talking to any one of my 65, 70 kids here at the center, that truly your self-worth is not necessarily what's on paper or how it is that the society defines you, but truly what you think of yourself. Once you figure that out, how do you make sure those ideas are being reinforced daily? Because it's not a one-time solution, right? You can't just say, hey, kid, you know, you're definitely worth more than this one test you just took. How do we raise them and show them that this is something they should be focusing on in their daily life? I think it's exhausting, but it's a constant sort of intentional battle with your children to kind of realize like that you have to like they're going to have small failures and little failures and though that is how they grow as people that is how they get resiliency that is how they move like and failure can lead to success and 
I think that's, it's hard to do it every day. I mean, we're not perfect people. I mean, in the people we mentor, whether you have children or don't, um, I think it just has to be at the forefront. I think having a dialogue about it and realizing that it's just bigger than one thing. What One thing that about the movie that was kind of, it was shocking to me that this kid, I forgot his name, Robin. had never had any other failure. Like, it, does that mean that everything in his life had gone exactly as he wanted it? And then this was the one time and then he didn't have the resilience to figure out that, okay, people fail and like, and then start to, but start to spiral. That was, I, I kind of, I was sort of shocked by that, but I know that we didn't have that whole context or our backstory, but that was kind of interesting to me. It stuck out that like, usually along the way you've had other failures. This can't be the first time, Raga. I think um, for him, he did have, uh, you know, his parents are divorced, right? But I did yeah. think that he seemed pretty mature and seemed to be taking that in yeah. pretty well. <clears throat> um, and I, I, if we're talking about the, the way the parents kind of put the pressure on him, from my perspective, having just watched the movie, it seemed like his dad was pretty... Uh, it didn't seem like he was the one adding the pressure. It seemed like it was self-inflicted by the child uh, mm -hmm. on his own because the one conversation they have before we get the, the test results, he did say, you know, well, you've, you've put in the work, like, I'm sure it'll be fine. It didn't seem like the dad was like, well, you better pass or else. So I'm not really sure where that kind of pressure came for on, on Raghav in the context of the movie or what the movie presented to us. Well, in response to that, Ani, who is the father, tells Raghav that he'll be selected because he did the work. Um, unfortunately, this didn't happen. And sometimes when we do try our best, it, we don't achieve our goals. So how did this idea that we'll get what we want when we, just because we worked at it, get talk, taught to us? Like, how do we react when we fail? Um, just because you put that much effort into something doesn't mean everything you work that hard of is or hard at is gonna be exactly how you envision it from the beginning. I, I think the amazing thing about kids is they know when you're faking it. So as parents, we might say something, but if we don't behave in that manner in our own life, they catch on, they see that. And that's what probably has a bigger impact than what we're saying. Um, and I think a lot of times for parents, you, you wanna teach them to do their best. And I think that's a tricky balance of do your best. But when I was watching the movie, you know, I thought it would be awesome to talk to kids and reminded me to talk to my kids of worst case scenario, right? If for whatever reason, you put in all your hard work, but you don't pass or you fail, what's gonna happen, right? You're gonna have to wait another year, whatever you take. And it, it just kind of takes that pressure off because I think some of these kids, they can't see beyond the failure. It's just like, it's a wall um, because we don't talk about it, right? And also with, with the dad, he, he took a, he never shared some of those stories. Um, of, of him failing. I think that's, that's huge. 
I mean, and there was a point in the movie where Raghav's mom, Maya, also does tell Raghav, I don't know if you guys saw where they're having dinner, and mm -hmm. she says, you know, even if you don't fail, it's not that big a deal. She says it right. to him, but for whatever reason, he was not receptive at all to it. So what could she have said that would have really driven that home? I think the conversations that we have with our kids as they're growing up, um, it's very easy for your kids to look at what, what you're capable of doing, what it is that you are doing, and that is a reality. So when our kids see us as successful people or the things come easy to us, you know, something as simple as, Mama, why is it that you can draw straight lines with a ruler and, you know, I can't? Um, and that generates a conversation of, you know, it's hours and hours of practice and it's okay if you don't make the straight line the first time or the second time or the third time. So I think for, for us, it's been more about, you know, to Neha's point, really being aware of what it is that your daily environment is, your behavior is, the words that you're using, and certainly um, giving them access to lots and lots of different literature, similar to what we're talking about right now, which is, you know, a fictional story, but it has its genesis in everyday life that we lead. So how is it that we bring that literature into our children's lives and give them a chance to um, process their feelings about failure or lack of resiliency um, as we're moving forward? I think it's also, um, if you uh, let them see you fail as a parent uh, helps a lot too. I remember specific, uh, specifically, um, you know, I play a lot of basketball. Um, I play in a league. Uh, so uh, Manav and Raina, my, um, uh, my children came to watch me play and it was a tough game. Uh, we were really close and, and uh, we played a really good game and I lost. And, uh, you know, th they came out to me, Daddy, you lost. But I'm like, did you see how hard we play? And then they kind of got the sense of, okay, it's, it's, it's about trying. It's okay to fail. It's, it's to get there. So the more you get, engage them in your lives and it's okay to fail uh, as a parent, uh, they kind of kind of receive that as well uh, as a real life experience too. And I want to add to that also, and, and Nikita kind of taking on your point of, you know, I think context matters too, because, you know, I go through this with my niece, she's, she's seven. Uh, last year we were on a vacation and we're in Vancouver and we went to lunch with a friend of mine. Um, so my niece they're hanging out with us and my friend is an artist and my niece loves to draw and she was drawing something at lunch and she felt like she wasn't good enough and because in her context she thinks oh I'm just a kid what do I know and she this is literally her thought and my friend and I had to tell my niece like well you look you know these things take time just because you're here in one place doesn't mean you can't get to another place down the line uh, and my friend was like, look, I'm an artist too. When I first started, I wasn't that good. I was kind of rough and, and sketchy in the way I put things, but I practiced, I put in the time and it, and it took me a while, but I eventually got to a spot where my art was, was, was where I wanted it to be, but it takes time. And, and I think sometimes that's also not, that needs to be related as well, that you can't get from zero to a hundred right away. It, it takes time to get to zero and, and, and teaching patience and practice 
and letting the process play out that you know, just because you might have a, a loss of a battle doesn't mean you lose the war, to use that analogy. So keep going and keep encouraging kids to, to keep growing and, and, and keep working through challenges and not always comparing yourself to another person because you don't always know where the people are in their process. Just worry about your process and, and, and build and build and build and do it patiently. You know, work hard, work smart, work long. It, it, and eventually it comes together. So we're Indian, we gotta do it now. <laughs> Actually, Rachel Hollis has a, she has a quote that I like a lot that's, don't compare your beginning to my middle. Right. And, and I think that's also important. Yeah, um, I'm taking a similar approach with uh, our children to like, uh, I don't overindulge them with technology, but I do have them play games on the iPad that are a little bit more difficult. Uh, and more puzzle games uh, that are more advanced. So instead of, you know, she's six, I'm letting her play with eight-year-old puzzle games. So I'm monitoring it, but you know, when she doesn't pass a level, she gets really upset. And that's actually really good because I want her to process her feelings. I want her to sleep it off, come back in the morning. So I'm teaching her those kind of things. And it's been really productive, actually. There's, she's coming back to me. She's like, Dad, I think I'm ready to take a break. I'll take, take this tomorrow. And that was kind of enlightening to me. I'm like, sweet, now you know how to process that. Um, so technology does help, uh, you know, and these games kind of help to, uh, to kind of understand uh, them. To, it's okay to fail because you're learning from them. One of, one of, my, one of my favorite stories around that is um, the Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely. She said, yeah. Yeah, Bajal knows it. It's awesome because she says her dad, when they were younger, every week would ask her and her brother, what did you guys fail at? And when they would, when they would tell him, he would high five them and say, right on. Um, because the fact that you failed at something means there's opportunity for growth and learning. So we've been doing that in our house and it's, it's awesome. It, it definitely sinks in. Yeah, mom, yeah. the other day, my son fell down and he had a big scratch and he got up. He's like, it's okay, it's a groovy to fall down. <laughs> and then I was giving him a bath and he's like, Wah! he just realized like three hours later, he had a big scratch on him. <laughs> but but now he's monitoring the scab. I was that. Go ahead. No, I was gonna mention Sarah Blakely. She was actually on my on my notes. My my dad years ago was watching her on 2020 because she's the youngest female entrepreneur, like the richest female entrepreneur. And um, and every it was like every night at the dinner table, her dad would ask like, "What did you fail at today?" And uh, they would have to go through it. And failure is how we like learn from, and then like we breed success. And the funniest part about that was that my dad told me this whole story and then turned to me and asked me what spanks were. And I was all like, so he got the great part of the story, which is failing can lead to success, that we learn from our mistakes. Um, but he missed the part about what spanks actually was. So that was kind of funny. Well, I, I'm kind of curious, why, why is it that failure isn't talked about more in terms of a, in terms of a learning process because I know for me I I the things I'm doing now is a direct result of a bunch of failures we're talking about failure after failure after failure for like a five or six year stretch which have now turned into lessons for me that I've been implementing in my own endeavors 
And those are lessons I learned on my own. I mean, no one told me how to learn from my failures. And I don't know if that's a, if that was just a me thing or if that's a common thing. But if it is common, why aren't we, why aren't we as a, in general having more conversations about how to use experiences, good or bad, to make ourselves better? What, what, what is the disconnect that exists, if at all? I think as parents, we, we really want our kids to feel good, right? So when we're raising them, it's, it, you're often looking at what are those small little milestones that you can really just celebrate so that you can keep that positive um, reinforcement going and that a success breeds success. That idea really is something that we ingrain in our children early on. Um, Neha, to your point and the story um, about Spanx, it, it really it solidifies some of the things that we do day in and day out with, uh, with our kids here at the center. And it's just about, you know, look at the errors that you're making and that really truly highlights where, what is the area of development for you rather than, you know, just looking at all the things that, that you got right. And brain research tells us that those things that are sort of automatic are not things that, that you're learning because you already know those things. So um, while it would serve us so, so much more to highlight the failures, it doesn't breed a, a good positive feeling. So I feel like we do need to have that conversation a little bit more with our children, with our parents, just society is at, at large that talks about those things so that we can move away from, you know, it's fantastic, I'm so proud of you. Now let's take a look at what are some things that you, you really truly need to work on and not make that as a negative, but really highlight that as the area of development. I think it's, it's framing of how it is that we look at failures, whether it's mistakes that we make, errors that we make. If we see them as just terrible things, then that's where the children are starting to pick up that mindset as well. But if we look at them as opportunities for growth and development, then I think well, there's pathway to move forward. Um. Yeah, absolutely. But now how you were going to... Yeah, I was just going to say, I think a, a big thing is parents, for a second, you do have to reflect back on your own relationship with failure. Because as much as we want to promote it and encourage our kids to fail, if we struggle with it, it's it's hard. It's hard, right? And and even as adults, um, there's there's embarrassment, there's shame, all of that stuff you know, that's linked to failure. And so I think it does help as a parent to just take some time to reflect and, and kind of evaluate your own relationship with it. Well, definitely it's, it's <laughs> feeling is, it's interesting, right? Like when you go through it, you realize that your growth came from your failure, but how do you have your kid understand that that's exactly what is going to push them forward as opposed to always getting the hundred percent or, you know, the good grades or whatever, however they, they measure their success. Um, I, I also want to mention like 
Ani in the movie casually has talks with his son about moving and talks about him not being there. So he assumes that his son will succeed. So how does that ingrain into Raghav's head where now he's internalized this, I have to pass this test? Well, I, it felt like Raghav already had like anxiety. Like it was like he had baseline anxiety. It was already there. And I felt like what his dad was telling him was more out of like this positive encouragement. There was no um, malintent in it. He wasn't as like Imran was saying earlier or like, oh, you have to get it or else like that's it. Like, you know, it wasn't like threatening. It, his, he could tell that his son was distressed. He was obviously very stressed out about whether he was going to get in or not. So he was trying to say something encouraging and like, when you go to the hostel, I'll miss you or we should hang out before you, you know, with that bottle of alcohol that he had, they're like, you know, father son bonding that they were going to have when he got in. Like, I don't, it didn't feel like it was, like it was um, to be negative or to add, like add to the stress. It felt more like, okay, my son's, I don't like as, what Nikita was saying earlier was like, I don't want him to feel this way. What can I say? You could also wait I, I think you could have waited, you know, like at least let him get the test result back and then bring the bottle out and, and mm -hmm. done all that. I think a little bit of like, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing your result would have been a better message than, you know, like I want you to have a drink with me when you get the results. <laughs> That's already like putting these expectations yeah. in him. No, I was just going to add to that, that uh, there is a subtle pressure. Mm -hmm. we, we don't realize that the context, the people, the words, all of those things really add to whether or not we feel the pressure. So it doesn't have to be an overt, you know, I really expect you to do well. Um, but just by saying that I already have something ready for us to celebrate, implies that there is an expectation and so until he really takes a moment and steps back and realizes that this my words really are putting that pressure onto my child i think um he like what simran was saying i i think he could have waited and <laughs> seen exactly how things would turn out as all of us parents should um, rather than sort of jumping the gun and saying, let's do this. I also think it's very progressive of this movie for them not to go to the mandir and do a puja before he takes the test. Where did that part go? True. That was the fault. That was what went wrong. No. Well, and, and to that degree, I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about the education system in India versus America because they're raising, you know, Indian children and most of us are raising Indian children only in America. Um, and just how, a couple of things. The fact that Indians say they put a rank on their child, literally from the first day they enter school, there's the all India rank they kept talking about in the movie and what that does to their self-worth. And then how the idea of self-worth is different for the kids being raised there versus the kids being raised here. 
so I just I, haven't understood the ranking system. I just don't get it. Like, what does that number do to you as an Indian? Like, you know, I'm number one. Okay, like, you still got to get the job with the other guy. Like, I never understand why Indians value that number so much. And the problem is when you're younger, I went to school in India um, from age 10 to 18. And so I was that ranking system. I was a part of that. And you get sucked into it. I was, I mean, I wanted to be top three. As a kid, you don't understand um, myself where it shouldn't be tied to that. I mean, you, you know, you, it's, you're too young. You don't understand that. So I, I think it's very damaging. I think there's so much pressure around education and, and getting that rank because the rank is there, then your, your parent wants you to be, you know, one to three. But I think there's a lot of successful people out there, you know, I mean, drop out, dropping out of, of school is an extreme maybe, but even that didn't rank high. So it means absolutely nothing, in my opinion. Yet here we are saying you were successful if you're in the top three or whatever it is. That's nice of your parents to allow for at least a top three. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds kind of like the NBA it's draft. very progressive. <laughs> Being drafted number one means nothing. Yeah, I come I from the school since, of Michael uh, Candy. Yeah, I, I went through the Indian school system since, like, you know, baby, I guess, to, uh, to uh, when I was 11. Uh, so that pressure was there when you, even when you're in kindergarten. You're like either number one or you know one of 56 or something like that i was like uh which is which is kind of crazy and then they had these like maggie like spelling bees and and they had ranks over there too instead of getting a free maggie it had to be number one to get maggie i was like what is going on here mm. it just never stopped in india i mean we don't have a ranking system here obviously but I, this is one thing i am kind of curious about it's a, it's a very minor thing but it exists you know, senior year, a lot of lot of schools. Well, at least this is when I was going to school. I don't know if it's still every day, but you know, you have your popularity polls, your popularity contest, and one category was most likely to succeed. And <laughs> yeah. back at the people that the four people that got the, that that title in the four years I was in high school, and I would say none of those four people are what were are where we expect them. <laughs> And, and so I'm curious, is that kind of the American equivalent uh, of the ranking system? It's not the same apples to apples per se, but there, there does play somewhat of expectation here of like, oh, you've almost likely to succeed. That means you've got to deliver something. Uh, and I, by, by context, I was probably the least likely to get to high school. I think I'm doing pretty good. So, <laughs> right? I mean, so I'm just curious your, each of your takes on that. I think there's more options here. Uh, I think, you know, even GPA is a game you can play and you can, like, uh, you have, you can average it out. There's uh, even SATs, if you don't do good, it's okay. You can community college and go to Ivy League. There's, there's a lot of nice options here uh, uh, to go about how you want to get that education and really succeed. I went to CSUN and I double majored in three years. Like, dude, that's awesome. Right. Uh, so the game can be played a little bit better here over there. It's just so strict, man. You got to have this, this, this. And like, there's no range. There's no averaging. It's just you have to be on top. Uh, and I think the, pressures, the pressures do exist here as well. I'm a product of Indian school system from, you know, birth till about 13 and then middle school onwards. Um, I attended school in the States. 
And for me, what I see as a major difference now, 15 years into the education system, um, as a teacher, I see that there are those obstacles that we put in place already, system-wide, system there exist these barriers that prevent you from feeling your absolute best, someone who is um, full of potential and as long as you keep going, you know, you will find your own pathway. So if we work our way backwards from college, what are those entrance um, uh, requirements, right? You have to have certain GPA, you have to have SAT, ACT, although some universities are finally waking up and realizing that's not, you know, the, the mark that you need to use. If you come back a little bit, you still have your AP courses. So all the kids are really just vying for the 4.6 and 4.7 GPAs and really padding the resumes. Go further <laughs> back a little bit. And now you've got gate education that took place in um, elementary years. And so parents are really starting early on. I just had conversations um, not too long ago with a parent that's just thinking about what it means to, or what do I need to do to go towards a gate route? So it starts as young as where the district starts testing, which is in second grade in some districts. And then by the time you're in third grade, you're already on a track. Um, so our existing systems here in the States really promote this idea of you need to continuously just keep adding to the list of things that you think you're doing, but really they're not enough because there's someone else um, out there who's doing much better than you are. So you keep yeah. competing, 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 and we're putting our kids through that and not really analyzing that overall system. So perhaps maybe we should start the conversation about how do we change that from early years? Well, or approach it differently. I think. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Make your point, and then I'll go ahead. Uh, no, it was interesting because when I, I had the exact same experience as you, I was there till eleven, and then came here in middle school, and I knew I didn't really know that it was important to go to UCLA or USC. My parents didn't know, right? So like. I'll, I got that pressure from the school, from the other people. And they're like, hey, what school did you get into? I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to put focus on that. I, I just thought I was supposed to just learn really well and, you know, and, uh, and, and excel in what I'm learning. And um, so, you know, that pressure really came from other kids, other students, even the teachers asking what school, school he got to me just because I was getting A's, I was supposed to go to UCLA. That was the pressure and it was really weird to me um and, and I felt it for a year I really did and I was like you know what you know if something hit me and I, and and after I hit CSUN I was like the education is the exact same thing and I saw kids at CSUN that were wearing UCLA Harvard sweatshirts because they couldn't get they couldn't keep up at UCLA so they had to come to CSUN and I'd take extra classes to learn to go back um so you know like that pressure, what you're talking about is, is, is I think in that system is creating it because they would take you to these Ivy League schools, UCLA, and check out this campus, how cool it is. You know, let's show you this campus. No one really showed me CSUN. No one showed me saw that easy path to get the same education and not have student debt. You know? So 
Um, I totally agree with that pressure um, within, the, within the system. Sure. Similar, I actually wanted to piggyback on what you were saying. Uh, so when I was in high school, every uh, senior, my senior of high school, every day at home in class from March to June, they would announce the students, the seniors that got into certain colleges. And right. you're literally, here are the 10 students who got admissions today. And it was Harvard, Princeton, UCLA. And if someone got, I kid you not, this happened. If someone got into a Cal State Long Beach or a Cal State Fullerton, nothing wrong with those schools, obviously, but if that was what was announced, the judgment that was cast upon those students, it was real and negative. And, and you know, this, these are 17, 18-year-olds who, it was all about UCLA or better. And I remember there were about 40 kids out of my class who got into UCLA. I went to community college for tears. And when I met up in junior year at UCLA with all those students from my class, they were shocked. Like, literally, what the F is he doing here? Because I was <laughs> joking in high school. And all of a sudden, here I am at UCLA with them. We're like, what? They, they couldn't fathom that. Because they were so ingrained with this thought of like, of, of kind of a, a form of elitism, for lack of a better word, I guess. You're Lord Casper, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But, and, and that, that but, but, so even though there might be more options for us here, that, that doesn't mean that judgments aren't being made, especially oh, yeah. a lot of kids who may not, especially in the 90s, I think, who weren't taught to, to, to be more open and accepting of, people's experiences in life. Just because you didn't go to UCLA right away or, or better, doesn't mean your, your worth is, or your value is higher or lower. You know, you yeah. are, are. And that's what's not taught. Yeah. People right. don't talk about it. I mean, it's cool to go to UCLA. I love that school. I love Berkeley. I love the campus and all this is cool. But your life doesn't stop if you don't end up going there, right? It's just four years of coolness, but there's 20 to 50 years of other stuff you have to handle in life. Yeah. That's more important. I don't know about everybody else here, but I can speak for myself. There is absolutely nothing I use for my UC education in my work today. I don't use anything I learned in school. It's all things I've learned from 23 afterwards. Yeah, the, the cool thing, you know, Google and some of these big companies now, they're not requiring degrees. And it doesn't mean our kids shouldn't go to college, right? That, that's fine. But I, I love that there's that change happening where it's more than that, right? Emotional intelligence, all that kind of stuff. Now they're valuing some of that. And when these corporate companies, because the end goal for parents is to get their kids, you know, good GPA, good college, and then that first job. And so when these companies are coming and saying, hey, that's not everything, I, I just wonder if there will be that trickle-down effect eventually that kind of helps break the system up because you're, you're right. I mean, you guys bring a great point up of it's all around us. So we really have to have that conversation at, our home, at home with our kids so they know they're going to face it, but they don't take it to heart or, or you know, um, it doesn't damage their self-worth. Let's, let's go back to the movie. Um, I actually had a question there. This, this is a, a, quite a big pivot, actually, from, from our conversation about children and self-worth. Um, but it goes to the thought of, and especially in our panel, we have half of us are women here, educated women. And the ratio of men to women in that college was 40 to 1. They talk about it. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, it's not because women aren't capable 
of doing engineering mm -hmm. by any degree. Um, but so why aren't there more en women engineers? Now, women are clearly getting into other fields. Even I, I believe amongst the 50% of us right here, I don't think any of us are engineers. Um, let me know if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us are engineers. So why aren't there more women engineers? Why, should, why wasn't that ratio a little bit more equal? Well, even if it was a little bit more than 40 to one, that would have been, that would have been something, I guess. Um, I was watching a memorial thing on our, our GB, RBG, I tend to flip those, but she went to Cornell and she said back in the fifties, the Cornell was one to four. So it was one woman to every four men and, and families loved to send their daughters there because if you didn't find a husband there, then like you were hopeless. Like it was a joke she was making, but it was like 40 to one at these engineering schools. But through my research, I was reading a book called The Female Brain by an MD, PhD a few years back. And she said, women are perfectly capable of becoming engineers. They have the, like, it's not like a, an intellect brain thing at all. It's the socialization piece that engineering doesn't allow that women biologically need from a biopsychological perspective. Like we need more social interaction. We need to speak more. Um, and that is why there are less engineers from, from that perspective. And then there's a, people also say it's a, like a, women are socialized differently. And then there's that idea that boys are better at math and science and that kind of thing. So there's different schools of thought on it, but yeah, no, definitely that could get a lot better. I mean, it I has to, uh, the world that. is going that way, mm -hmm. so it has to get better. Uh, there's, there's no, women have to be programmers. Uh, you know, it's uh, the future of technology and the way things are going. You gotta know the basics of it. So that, and it's really interesting because uh, I go to a lot of technology conventions because being a programmer and yeah, Amazon is the worst convention you have to go to because it's literally all men and maybe like three women there. That's it. And it's like 50,000 men there and like three women. Whereas Google, if you go to Google, it's a really nice ratio. It's like 50-50, like really smart women on stage, really smart like uh, across the board. And it's really nice to see the dynamic and... Uh, so it's, it's not only in college, even when we get in the workforce, like uh, the engineering is happening uh, mostly from a male dominance point of view. And, and what's really scary is like just getting into that is uh, artificial intelligence, all the algorithms are being built by men. So it's really important for women to kind of step up and being engineers because they need to contribute to this, this forward uh, technology and artificial intelligence and the algorithms that people are writing so it's not only male dominated algorithms it's not so aggressive when they're you know telling you what kind of food you should drink uh, eat or what kind of movie you should watch there should be a woman's perspective into that and 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 i think that focus needs to shift quickly uh, and and a lot of people need to open up to having women engineers i was just going to add um from what we see both i i think um there are more women engineers, I think, in India than we find here. Um, what I've seen a lot of is the this mindset 
that says, you know, math and science, I'm a woman, I wasn't very good at it. So, you know, my daughter's also not very good at it. This idea that somehow it's genetic um, rather than a learned skill that you need to acquire and refine over the years. So I feel the contributing factors are not just in India, but also here where you do have that limitation. And in addition to that, I think back to my credentialing program, the number of teachers that teach our children here in the States. Um, I was at International Literacy Association's um, big conference and there were about 700 teachers. Um, they had to open up the men's restroom because there weren't enough men <laughs> present as teachers that are in front of our children. And so depending on who you are as a person yourself, your own, um, the uh, sort of, well, what I'm looking for is like, how do you feel about math yourself? right? And how is it that you as an educator pass that on? So, so many of our elementary educators, if they don't find that math is one of interest, two, that it's learned or not learned, and how it is that they're bringing their own personal biases to the classrooms, um, I think that plays a big role in whether or not we're going to see more women in STEM uh, fields with science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and whether or not we are going to have more girls feeling that they're capable of making those choices for themselves, which then I think down the road will inform the algorithms that are, you know, really driving a lot of our, bus uh, our personal um, interaction, as well as behavior, as it's indicated in the social dilemma. I don't know if you were referring to that, um, Simran, did you get a chance to watch it? Maybe that's no, I did, uh, but I've, I've been feeling this for a couple of years now. Like, you know, just I'm programming AI algorithms and my peers that I'm working with are all men. They're like, this is what it should do. And like being a creative myself, like I do pull them back a little bit. I'm like, that's a little aggressive. And I, as you know, having another voice that's not all male dominant voice would be really useful. And you know, it's really hard to find a women engineers, even from in my own business. Uh, I, I actively look for them, but they're not there. They're not on uh, freelancer sites. They're not easy to get to as well. So I think there's, uh, uh, that needs to change. Uh, and um, yeah, your point about like how the Indian school system focus doesn't focus on that. F 40 to 1 is just, you know, a, a clear indication of that. And I think leadership is, and I mean this in, 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 in all levels, uh, that laws can change with the right leadership, right? I mean, in, in let's put it in the film context, having the right producers and writers and directors who massage these stories uh, in a way that makes it acceptable. And, and it's, we're celebrating not just one gender, but both genders or, or people of multiple backgrounds. Uh, you know, at, at an Amazon conference, there needs to be the right leadership, for example, that, that, that's, that's not just either dismissing the facts or, or the ratios and actually promoting women and saying, hey, look, these are, these are avenues that, that everybody could pursue. I mean, so 
I, I think that's the way to, to, to really get to the, to the, to the, to the problem is you, you need to have proactive people at the top mm-hmm. that, are, that are mandating that, it's not, that, that, that these ratios are not just unfair, but they're unjust. And I think that's that we yeah. have, right? And, and, and somebody, uh, women that, uh, and girls especially that can look up to certain people, like, you know, it's, the only people they can look up to is Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs, all white men, like, come on, dude, like, there's no other, like, thing that they can actually say, I want to be that, like, I want to be that programmer. Like, who do I tell my daughter to look up to as a programmer? Like, don't right. really know, you know? And I, I believe it's on leadership to put those people mm-hmm. Place. Like, let's diversify the yeah. presented. That way, if, if a young girl is looking at, 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 at whatever, they're saying, oh, yeah, you know what? I could be like her. I want to be just mm-hmm. that or better. And we, I do believe that that has to be presented. You know, when, I, when my niece or my goddaughters are, are looking around the world and saying, who could I bottle my life after? Who are they looking at? And it, it, I'm saying this in all fields, not just tech. And, you know, all the, the films, like, like you know, any, any Bollywood film has to, has to celebrate these stories. It can't just be a, a one-track story. Uh, you have to show the right people in place. And so, yes, I, I totally agree with that. And on that note, like, this, this Bollywood story, they show the, the ratio of 40 to 1. And then they show these women being constantly bothered harassed. and harassed. And that's not exactly a positive note like yes i'm going into engineering you know that's that's it portrays why would i put myself in that situation unless they're i guess i'm not sure what the right word is programmed is probably not the right word to think that this is a good thing that these men are all chasing me In context of the movie, my, every time, except for with the Sushant, with Ani's character, anytime a guy approached her, she was like, no, bye, not today. Like, I, I think that idea that like men can approach you just because you're a woman or they can catcall you just because you're there, like that's slowly changing. Like, I think it's changing a lot in the US in the last couple of years, the Me Too movement. And that's spreading all over the world, and like a lot of that's happening in India as well. So, um, no, I don't. I don't think she in the movie made it look like it was okay, or she was consenting to it, or she was okay with it, or was wasn't normalized in any way. But I, yeah, I do think that many women, if they were like, "Oh, I'm going to go into engineering," but there's a forty to one ratio here at this college that could make you feel a bit apprehensive about putting yourself in that environment. Um, and if, as the environment changes, then hopefully that's one thing that will, as like to everyone else's point, make this more 50-50. But like as, so I'm raising two boys. Um, and what I do is when I read them stories, one of the many things I do to like teach them that women hold up half of the sky is that I change the pronouns in a lot of their books to she. Um, I just try to intentionally do that. So like, it's not like, there's just not just a bunch of, and then he said him to that, he, blah, blah. I was all like, you should see that, like there's women that are part of this too. And um, I buy them books on feminism. Um, 
I don't know. I just like, I put on more female dominated, like, you know, if we're going to put on a movie, let's try Sleeping Beauty, even though she should not have touched that spindle, but whatever. And so, <laughs> but like, you know, that kind of thing. Don't follow strangers and nobody should yeah. uh, kiss you, kiss you while you permission. Yes. We, after that happens, I make sure to let them know that consent was required. Yeah, uh, it's, that's actually a thing we teach our kids too. <laughs> um, I think there, there was a missed opportunity in the movie with the character of Maya because the conflict or the flashback was all like revolved around sports and like her purpose was really on either like the, the caring mom or the loving girlfriend. And mm -hmm. I think if we're trying to bring people into engineering or, or you know, women and, and girls into that field, I think the movie could have spent a little bit more time focusing on that and how she is a student in a 40 to one environment outside of the harassment and the, the love interest uh, part of the movie. Actually, except for the sport <laughs> aspect of it, she and Ani's character might have been able to switch the whole thing, which would explain why he got custody, where she's the boss and doesn't have time for her family. And they left and Ani got full custody because she was busy working and traveling and, you know, ruling the world. Mm. So, the, yeah, you're right. The potential, it was there because afterwards we don't see her in a work environment at all. So. At, at one point in the movie, though, she does say, um, I, I should not have given you custody. Yeah. So, what, and, and part of the blame and the grief when they first get to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what that was about, but there was, the, you're right, Imran, there could have been much more context there, like a little bit more of a background on who this woman is and how she got here. Uh, but I guess that wasn't their focus, right? So. Right. Yeah. Um, so on that note, I want to talk about that general championship, <laughs> um, which was definitely fun to watch. I do, I, I was very, I, whenever I see a big group of friends that are like all, you know, buddy, buddy and loyal and all that, I just feel like I don't have enough friends. I need more friends. <laughs> um, so they were, they were a lot of fun to watch as a group. Um, but something like that general championship in their engineering college, does it create more competition in an already competitive environment or are there more benefits to having something like that because it's away from the education part and creating team spirit and bonding or is it, I mean, where does it lie on that, you know, standard? All I thought was the movie Nerds <laughs> when they have the general championship. You never seen Nerds? But, oh yeah. my God, it's the greatest movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same exact uh, premise, right? Like you, you have a championship and these nerds want to win uh, against all these jocks. And this was the same thing. I thought it was healthy. I really enjoyed watching it. And I don't think there was added pressure to it. Uh, it was cool. Um, but again, no women involved in the championship. <laughs> like, what? until the very end right until, the, until they had right. weightlifting and weightlifting. then right. it, it yeah. seemed like there was competition there i think it, it sort of rounded out um the need that 
your education does not need to be a single faceted um, journey. It needs to really give you access to develop your whole self, whether it's through sports, whether it's through some creative outlet. Um, I think it would be absolutely beneficial to every university to add a liberal studies background as general um, requirements, just so you get a chance to really dive into other people's perspectives and learn from the past, how things have been, how humans have evolved and what types of obstacles that they've overcome and give you an insight into, you know, not just your own and what your focus is, which is moving forward into math, science or whatever, you know, uh, field you decide, but build you as a human, which then I think creates a foundation for you to pass it on to the next generation of people. Um, I, I can definitely say if, if I simply just had the very, very tight-knit curriculum around a specific subject, I would be a very boring person. Not that I'm a very interesting person all the time, but I think that I can hold a conversation and some friends. And I think that is vital to cultivate yourself, which then is... Uh, what you pass on to the next generation. If you're single faceted because your education is in math and that's all you're talking about or that's all you're doing, then at that point, what's the purpose of life, that journey that you want to create or that pathway? How do you navigate that? Also, in the yeah. context of the movie, I don't think Ani's character would have had something to share with his son if he hadn't gone through that competition and failed at the end. So I think it's absolutely important because that's, that, that was a problem I had with the movie. I was like, why are we so focused on sports when the kid was really concerned about his education? I thought it'd be more of like a three idiots vibe where, you know, the teachers are adding pressure, the parents are adding pressure, but the fact that it turned out to be sports and that it, that was the, the lesson that he passed on to his kid, I thought was a win for the movie. The thought, the thought I had when I was watching was if they didn't have that general championship, how different would the lives of those guys have been? Because it seemed like they were all very successful, whatever they were doing. And if they just went through college um, being picked on or just, you know, and maybe they didn't do well, they didn't graduate with, with good marks or whatever, how much confidence that experience must have given them as well as skills that they probably used after, you know, after graduating. I think their lives would have been very different if they hadn't gone through that. I mean, and on that note, Acid, who stood out to me because his entire anger was based on how his teachers treated him for not, for struggling in engineering school. So what, I guess, where could he, if he didn't have his group of friends, let me put it that way, if he didn't have his group of friends, where would he have ended up? Like, would he have been able to be, I quote unquote, successful? Because we don't know that. I think, if, you, I think he still would have been successful. He just probably would have been really, um, what's that word, like, he would have been mad about it. 
he would have been mad at his job. He would have been very like resentful of the whole situation. But because he had the Jane North Championship, he doesn't care because he had such a fun time and those fun memories are, are the ones that come to him. And it's the same with me as well. Like, you know, I've had bad teachers, but uh, being in competitive sports and dancing and things like that, all those bad teachers, I don't even remember them anymore because those memories still uh, are the best ones I remember uh, from, from my past. Standing on top of uh, Amit's uh, shoulders are my memories that I hold on to. Stages have been so. Yeah, people are like, "What? My shoulders." (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes when you don't have friends, when you don't have other people to point out the good in you, it's really easy to just be in your little bubble Mm -hmm. and just think of the negative. So I don't know. Actually, I don't know if he would have been successful. I don't know if he would have been able to have to get out of that negativity. I think the, the fact that he had such diverse friends and, and who were uplifting and encouraging probably had a, a big deal, like played a big role in him getting out of that. Um, because sometimes we need other people to kind of point out the greatness in us or the good things um, in us because we can't see it sometimes. I think what really struck me was, and I didn't expect it to, the camaraderie, the friendship amongst uh, such a diverse set of people and how they all come together and really give you a sense of humanity as it's moving forward to have a a good outlook. Um, That's sort of what kept me in the movie because everything else was going on, but what really was a driving force were those friendships that were being cultivated. And there, while there was a lot of um, mischief and, you know, picking on people and you see all of those things that often we see as negative, how those became the very thing that bound them all together. And so perspective was changed for me as I was watching them sort of come together and realize that, you know, um, the difference in all of us is what really is the bond that can bring us all together. Even with their rival uh, hostel, I don't know the character's name, but at the end, after the basketball match, he's like, you know, good job. You guys put up a good, a good match. And that was healthy compared to the, you know, the rest of his attitude during the movie. Yeah, it, it almost gave them respect that they tried as hard as they did. And sometimes is that the goal that we're trying to aim for is just to get respect. And that gives us that positive um, vibe that, that keeps us moving forward. That's actually a significant part of the movie because if that rival um, guy uh, didn't do that, would they have just walked out kind of depressed and sad and again feeling like losers? So I, 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 that's a significant part, I think, where they felt away walking, you know, or walked away feeling pride. All right, so I wanna say the, the final question in this uh, round table. And basically I'm gonna go back to the one, the one quote that really stood out to me when I was, when I first watched the movie, and that was the quote I believe on the review, that's the first thing I wrote is, Ani talk, when he's talking to his friends while his kid's in the hospital, he says, we have plans for success, but we don't plan for failure. 
our whole lives are based on succeeding. Like we'll accomplish something and then this is what we're gonna do next. But what if we don't accomplish that one thing? What is the next step? So how do we teach our kids there is always another way? Like what are actual practical things we can do for our kids that keep them moving forward knowing hey i tried this was worth the effort and this these are this is my plan to go to wherever i want to go if this is not my path let me figure out another path i think for me it's uh <clears throat> it's it's making them diverse in what they are so not only have, be good on one thing be good or not good in a couple other things try different things uh do sports, team bonding is pretty important. Uh, you know, dancing, you want to dance, but also learn the tabla, like, you know, try both things and, uh, and continually just be uh, ready to educate your own self. Uh, my best friend always told me the best investment you can make is knowledge, right? Uh, you can always, the, the more diverse you are in your skill set, the more directions you can go. So it's okay to fail here because you know you can go here. I think another thing that helps is listening, um, you know, and respecting the no. Uh, you know, if, if, if a kid says, I don't want to do that, then respect the I don't want to do that. Uh, my niece, for example, did not, she was, she was enrolled in Taekwondo for a year and she didn't like it at all. And it was at the point where we're like, you know what, Why are, we're not going to force her to do it as a family. So. We, 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 we respected her wishes and said, you know what, you gave it a shot. That's, that's good enough that you gave it a shot and go on and try something else now. And this is kind of a way of diversifying, I guess. Allow the kid to try. And if they, if they don't want to do a particular thing, respect that and guide them somewhere else and, and help them find what they do like. I think for me, it's about not focusing on the end product as our kids are growing up that it is about the journey it is about those small little steps that you're taking every single day legos are a big thing in our household and it's about that time that you're spending whether it's two hours or three hours you're working towards something but when my son is building, now it's, it's become more about the process of, okay, what can I create rather than I need to create this as the end product because that's what's on the box itself. So cultivating that idea in our daily life while at the same time being mindful of the words that we use, right? As parents, you know, we have the best of intents all the time about saying, you know, yes, I want you to really focus on the journey, but then what happens when the child does not tie their shoe um, within the quick 30 seconds that you gave them? You say, come on, you can get to it. And you're not really paying attention to how long it takes or what that process is. The real cool question on that, just from a perspective, and it's an open question is, um, do you teach them to ride the bike? even if they don't want to like where's that line of like okay you, you these are skills you should know but okay so like where's that line but says yeah you're it's it's a part of that shitting. no that's an open like, question yeah. yeah like are we all just shitting on each other 
Like you should, like you should get married by this point, or you should have X amount of children, or you should, are we all, you should know how to ride a bike by this age. Like, are we all just, like I have friends who are like, my kid can read and they're like three, four. And I'm like, that's the kid that's gonna be living at your house at 40. Like, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm just saying, like, what is it all for? Like, why are we all shitting? Mm-hmm. I love the point, Nikita, that you made because sometimes if you guys all think about your own failures in your life, think about where it took you. And so some t- you can't control everything. I think we're a culture where sometimes we, we want too much control. The one thing that's important for me to teach my kids is having faith in the universe or life or whatever you want to call it, because sometimes it will take you in a different direction that you're meant to go. Um, And I just, for me, that's so important for them to learn. But again, it obviously has to balance with the hard work, which I think is a part of the journey, like you said. Um, And so, yeah, I think we've got to teach them to go with the flow at times because you can't control it all. And maybe it's taking you somewhere that's great for you. I feel like it's a conclusion ending in, you know, the Gita's main uh, teaching, which is, you know, do your duty. Don't worry about what the end result is going to be. So, so long as you're putting one step after the other and really moving forward, knowing that you're doing your absolute best, know that it will somehow turn out exactly the way it's supposed to and you don't have control over what's going to happen tomorrow so you might as well just do the best today and move move yourself forward thank you i didn't know you're all religious up in here i'm not (laughs) i'm not i'm spiritual (laughs) i believe in good thinking and good teachings and wisdom from others i like it i need more of those spiritual i mean send me send me a text every day you got it. In in response to the shoelaces, though, my mission is to get all adults back on Velcro. Like, why are we all dealing with shoelaces? We should all be wearing I'm going to return that bike. That's it. I'm done with it. She's going to learn it. Going back to Walmart. Why don't we have those self-tying shoes from Back of the Future, too? That's what I want to know. <laughs> they haven't even gotten to hoverboards yet, man. <laughs> it's been five years since that film was supposed to happen in real life. I could, t- I could 100% tell you anything I've tried to control has failed in my life. Everything, every single thing that's worked out for me are things I did not control, I did not try to control. So I 100% believe in letting things happen and develop. Uh, you know, all the things I try to control in life, all those things are not in my life anymore. And so I, I 100% believe in, you know, do what you can. Uh, to, Put the best of yourself out there every day and, and let the chips fall where they may. Before we go, all I gotta say Shraddha did not look good as an older woman. I, I, it was, I was not convinced that she looked like an older woman. She had a teenage son. As Sean too. I was like, no, this doesn't work. The makeup no, I feel like way better. I think the acting was good. The, the, the acting the, was good. Yeah, the, like, acting, you, the makeup. You I mean, you know, like, I don't need to be convinced. I think the acting was enough to sell me on it, like his mannerisms and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you look at, you know, uh, uh, Brad Pitt, they made him look old and made him look good, but this was like, 
really weird. Uh, just like a side note uh, on from pure that perspective. Bollywood actually has a history of of overestimating <laughs> how you look at certain ages. Um, Veer Zara had a Priyank, what's her name, Preeti Zinta and Shahrukh Khan, and they were supposed to be like fifty five. And my parents were that age. I'm like, my parents are hobbling around like they can't walk. Like, what is this? And they had Amitabh Bachchan in the previous scene jumping around and dancing. Like, okay, this man is the age they're supposed to be. So they, they just have a hard time visualizing. Yeah, sometimes. that's all I was getting at. I think Bollywood needs to fix that part of it. It'll be nice. But I think Kishore definitely had a good message in terms of pressure. It almost is on the complimentary side to three idiots coming from a parent point of view versus a child's point of view. Um, but I just want to say thank you all for participating in this panel. Um, we enjoyed having you on. Um, Primo. Uh, to each one of you, thank you so much for, for joining our conversation today. This was great. Uh, we'll do this again in a month. Uh, so thank you for being part of the round table and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.